the catcher that makes it. Yeah, that, that's what brings new people in. Yeah, that's what keeps people who don't don't really train and don't appreciate uh-huh. finer aspects. That's what keeps them watching. Yeah, so for I, sure. I think it is super important. Yeah, yeah, I agree too. Is this thing on? I think this thing is on. So you guys are just going, so I just started it. Are you ready, Joe? Sensei Joe? We're already talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) We're just having fun. Yeah. So, um... (laughs) So, uh... Hug up to this uh, this thing here. We got. Um, I'll stay back for a minute. We have <laughs> we have a very special um, podcast guest, as they all are, um, and it's not just Sensei Joe this time, right? Everybody's special. You're special every time, but but we have a <laughs> but we have uh, Mr. Ben Powers, Mr. Mr. Ben. What's up, dude? What's happening? So, uh, wow. So we were just talking about. You guys are just talking about what here? You were just saying that. Like, kind of uh, different styles in MMA. So you've got guys who are like really wild, creative types and super, super fun to watch. But if they don't bring a real high-level strategy to the fight, that they're creating awesome like highlight reel finishes all the time, but never quite getting up to that champ level. But then you've got the guys who are incredibly methodical, really precise, that just can't generate enough viewership yeah. because they're they're not interesting to watch someone just pick you apart methodically. If yeah. you don't train... If you don't appreciate the finer aspects of that precision, it can yeah. be really, really boring to watch. Yeah. Oh, Those. by the way, this is the Art Fight podcast. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're anyway. talking about creative fighting. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we talk art and we talk fight. That's right. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you see, like some. Well, and even if you are a high level uh, combatant, uh, competitive. Uh, combat sports person like you look at like what Mackenzie Dern just did and it was like okay and for those who don't know Mackenzie Dern is a sort of highly acclaimed jiu-jitsu master and she uh, just kind of made her way to the UFC Um, but man is it a different game there (laughs) and and what I think is so interesting is that people just automatically just talk about oh you know oh if this fight goes to the ground then it's over which is generally true but they just totally forgot about the connective tissue between people talk about either strikers or they're grapplers but they forget about the wrestling in the middle and the fact that if you can't get someone to the ground then you're you're not gonna be able to use your your best tools so that's sort of an an example I think of like her her experience and what we saw the other night was definitely sort of something like that where it's like you could tell she didn't have uh, a full strategy or approach. I think she just assumed she would be able to get some basic trips done yep. or something yeah. to get somebody down, like whatever her small vocabulary is for for that, and just thought it just would end up there somehow. And then when it just wasn't, it right. was like way awkward. Right, yeah, yeah. Because she's pretty, I mean, I, I think a lot of people were noting like her sort of awkward striking and stuff, which is kind of true, but she was very aggressive too, which was kind of good in a way. Like she's not afraid to try, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people, yeah. if they're lacking those skills, they'd be shy about even attempting. They'd just be like, How, when do I go to the ground? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where she's like barreling forward, but unfortunately because she's not necessarily highly skilled at that. She's also getting picked apart. And then, like you say, the worst part was not really that she... Because people are oh, her striking so terrible. It's like, that wasn't the bad part. The bad part was every time she got into a clinch, 
she couldn't do anything. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. That's really where it was bad. Yeah, you know? and needless to say, she. Until she it did. sounds like she it sounds like she did terribly. She yeah. won. Yeah, which is always great. Right. But, sure. Uh, you know. Yeah, because she eventually did get her down, and then we did see. Oh, holy shit! She's like a fucking wizard genius. <laughs> yeah. Was it's, things things started to go fast? So, what was your take? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, obviously, Ben, you're here because because you are a jujitsu uh, practitioner. Um, among other things, but uh, but I was just curious, what was your take on what you saw from her when it like it was only got down to the ground for like the last minute of the fight or something, yeah, right, pretty much, yeah. right? So that's the most frustrating thing is seeing people who are really really good at one aspect of MMA uh-huh. and they're not able to take the fight there. That's that's why I think you see a lot of these guys who are like collegiate wrestlers or uh, Olympic wrestlers that do so well in MMA because they're great at that transition at bringing it either from the ground to the feet or feet to the ground uh-huh. either way they're great at that control and transition and Mackenzie I'm an amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner I've watched her for years and <laughs> she's sick I, I love her omoplata style stuff but she obviously did not have the wrestling skills necessary to control the match and to funnel it into her strong suit mm-hmm. so I, I just hope that she is willing to take this as a learning experience what I'm mm-hmm. scared is that like she released a statement after she was like oh yeah like I won my first fight so like I can tell that I, I belong here it's like don't keep doing what you're doing <laughs> yeah. you got lucky you you yeah. beat someone yeah. by decision that has had zero wins in the UFC mm-hmm. and you look sloppy the whole time I think yeah. I think whenever we talk about things like this I can't help but think about like uh, sort of uh, what if we were talking the same way about people that were say just musical performers or something oh. where it's like <laughs> You know, I saw the drummer for, you know, such and such band. And, you know, look, I mean, the guy really heavily relies on double kick uh, <laughs> playing from his metal days. And look, when he came from metal, he was a thrasher and he was unbeatable. I mean, yeah. the guy ha- had such skill. But listen, you're, you're playing Americana now, <laughs> you know, and you've got to be able to adapt. Yeah. You've got to have a little bit more dynamic sensitivity to what you're right. playing. It's this not needs just to be a lot more boring. You can't, just use, you can't just use triggers on your kick drums anymore. You actually have to play like, you know, uh-huh. them for their acoustic properties. And, uh, and so, you know, now that I'm seeing this person transition finally out of metal into the, yeah. the broader world of Americana, I'm seeing some weaknesses here. Like, right. you know, like just, uh, that's a, uh, that's like a fundamental strain of what I think is really, uh, interesting about as we're trying to always draw the correlations between sort of art and combat sports and and martial arts i I think it's really funny because there's just an inherent uh competitive and self-analytical piece uh to to martial arts that's part of the componentry of it and it's got to be there and you know obviously musicians are like that you know Uh to to a huge extent too but in terms of like the public perception nobody's looking at it because it's not competitive right it is competitive but as maybe as a whole yeah or maybe in an isolated internal way like uh you know whatever but but so I just think it's funny every time I hear conversations like that. I would, you know, picking somebody apart that's a master, at, like you know what they do. Right? That's yeah. just an unbelievable transcendent master of yeah. something. Yeah, you know, it's like well, <laughs> she better think twice before she you know, books another fight. You right. know, yeah, yeah. And in the meantime, she just like break my leg. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. But one one of the things about jujitsu that I think shows its weakness a lot is that. Um, you're forced to engage when you're on the ground. Like you in jujitsu matches, you can't just stand up, back away, and reset. And jujitsu competitors are not not used to keeping the other competitor on the ground, uh, like them having a choice to get out of it. Yeah, and that that ends up showing up a lot in these people who are really really great at jujitsu, but can't control that aspect. Oh, okay. So that's really yeah. interesting. So that's actually probably pointing back again to the wrestling component of just being able to keep your weight yeah. on top of somebody the right. Like so, there's some. 
So basically, just wrestling is just like a, a gear that you need, um, if sure. not if not first and fourth gear and third gear. Yeah, Khabib gear. Khabib gear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's. Um, are you guys familiar with Neil Melanson? Uh-uh. So sounds familiar. He was uh, he was Randy Couture's head coach. Okay. And he coaches a lot of UFC fighters, and he's an absolute freak beast. He's he's got a book on nothing but triangle chokes. It's, it's like two hundred pages of different. It's triangle just triangle chokes, yeah. And uh, he, technical wizard, dude's like six foot five, like two hundred fifty pounds, solid muscle. Oh man! But one of the things that he he likes to talk about is that like wrestling for him is the most important aspect of MMA that it's control of another person on a higher level than you see in any other art form. Yeah. Cause without, without the control, then you're just winging it. Exactly. Well, and you make it, I mean, you know, we're sort of, we're sort of like saying this again, but it's like, if you, if you like, like Khabib, like if you can control that person and you know, and he's got you, next to the fence with one of his arm, one of your arms pinned under your leg and all this kind of stuff. It's like, you can do plenty of striking right there, you know? <laughs> or like you say, if you want to, if you're the kind of person who's going to, you know, who's trying to get to the ground to do jujitsu and get submissions or something like that, well, that's, you need the wrestling to do that. So it's like, it's kind of the, and, and it's not surprising that like the sport developed how it did. And yeah. like you got into that mode where, once we got past like the tough man contest thing, right. then by the time we have like GSP is like the ascendant star, it's like well, that's yeah, you gotta be able to box and wrestle. Like wrestling is key and then learn some kicks. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's also it, what I think is interesting too is the whole wrestling thing, it's not um just about having those techniques. It's also like that that culture and that mindset. If you've been through the ringer of wrestling from uh-huh. From what I've seen, it's like that's that's why somebody like Khabib can just be like, I'm just going to walk through Barbosa's kicks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until there's no more distance between he and I anymore, yeah. and then I'm going to put him on his back and yeah. then put one hand behind him, yeah. and then what is this in Barbosa? Yeah, yep. you know, and I think that that like his ability just to be like, I'm going to walk right through whatever fire is happening yeah. that most people are not willing to put themselves even remotely at risk for, right. Just I'm gonna walk straight straight through it. It's kind of like a hot coal sort of exercise yep. in a weird way. Like uh-huh. he just he does that. Uh, and they say it's like aggression, but it's it's almost like beyond that. It's like a yeah. it's like a just a, an absolute singular focus point of view of right. like I don't care what is happening. I'm going to move at you, yeah, and I'm going to force you to either evade or entangle with me. And then yeah. as soon as we're there, then I've got you know my game to yeah. play. And there's nothing about wrestling that's easy. You know, like like you know like. Not to, I mean, obviously all these things are difficult, but like say somebody like Muhammad Ali or something like that, like that whole style is set up to maximize his, maximize his, uh, his, uh, gifts, you know, so that he can do what he does as well as he can do it. And then also to frustrate yours, like to like, you're not going to be able to hit me because I'm because I can do these things. I'm fast and I'm pretty and all this stuff, you know, you know, so, so it's set up to do that where like with wrestlers, it's like, it's all just hard. You know what I mean? The whole thing is hard. So I think that's part of where that comes from is it's just like, oh, it's going to kick me a bunch of times. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but like a striker is like trying to think, well, how can I keep him from kicking me? How can I stay out of the way? So he can't kick me until I decide to hit him and then he won't be able to kick me. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it's just like, oh, whatever. Fights is hard. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. Khabib is not worried about, I need to really, I mean, I guess he has to, to an extent, but I don't think he's obsessed with people's timing or getting anything like that. Like, I mean, he's just sort of like, you know, yeah, he probably knows 
I would imagine he has some basic sense of like what what other people's sort of tells or yeah. or whatever they are, you know, yeah. how their hips are going to be if they're going to or whatever the right. little things are. But I mean, I, I generally gather it may, it may just be those things where it's just this is what it looks like. Yeah. But in fact, it's totally opposite in reality. But it looks like he's just like I'm just going to walk right through all your fire and he's just so disciplined with it. Like that, that's what I love most is that a lot of times, especially like with a guy like Barbosa, you, you're going to be scared shitless of getting within range of those that he's willing to go through that is the it speaks so much to his level of discipline yeah. to be able to execute his game plan regardless of whoever's standing in front of him yeah, yeah. so now like you just you just you've done a lot of competing in the last uh couple of months yeah 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 last uh pro- probably about last year year and a half i've had like 40 matches whoa they're uh 39 yeah. Now tell. Now you're from. We're we're doing this podcast in Nashville, but you're you live in Knoxville, Tennessee, Correct. which yep. is four or yeah, three it's, hours, it's like two two and a half hours, two and a half hours uh, east of here, mm-hmm. right? And and that's where you train, right? And what's yep. the name of the gym you train at? It's Gracie Baja Knoxville. Oh, okay. I train with Samuel Braga. Okay, so cool. He's a multiple time world champion, and actually today he just won another uh, Pan American Games. Wow. So wow. He's, dude's a savage. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny because he's. Uh, tiny little guy real unassuming when you meet him kind of low-key soft-spoken and just straight up savage yeah let just kill you <laughs> yeah so is that the only gym that you've ever been in or i did um as far as jiu-jitsu goes um i did some nogi stuff some mma style stuff when i was younger um, uh-huh. when i was probably like 16 to 19 um and then cool. through college uh trained a little bit with some of my buddies but nothing truly brazilian jiu-jitsu until i moved down here and that i i got so lucky with that because i came from uh through college i was a collegiate boxer i competed Mm, in taekwondo throughout college so um had had a lot of a a lot of striking experience but uh i I had a bunch of concussions um i ruptured an eardrum and i've got it's still residual damage in my ear, so it's like if I get hit in the right ear again, it's most likely I'm going to go deaf. Oh. So when I was moving down here, I kind of posted a thread up on Reddit, like, hey, you guys, like, where should I train in Knoxville? And so yeah. I was like, hey, the Samuel Braga guy. So That's cool. I thought nothing of it, moved down, and um, it, it turns out I picked an apartment, moved in, saw a car in the parking lot that had this Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu bumper sticker on it. Uh-huh. Saw this little brown guy go up and go into his apartment. <laughs> I go up and knock on his door. It's like, hey, man, like you train Jiu-Jitsu? Can I train with you? And it's Samuel Braga, multiple-time uh, world champion, whoa. lives next door to me in my apartment. That's crazy. That's awesome. Felt so lucky for that. Yeah. See? So you're on the right track, clearly. Yeah. But so, you, you know, I've seen video of some of your... Uh, latest matches. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was one in particular where, and I don't know if, uh, so you were, so you're, you're kind of a Kimura guy. Yeah. Like that is, that is, and so <laughs> for anybody that doesn't know what a Kimura is, Joe, how, Sensei Joe, how would you uh, describe a, Kimura, is that where, we, where I'm taking your arm yeah. and twisting yep. it? Yeah. So you're basically... Maybe Ben should... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yours would be better. Yours would be better. Yeah. But yeah, you're sort of forcing their arm backwards and sideways and yeah, so breaking it. <laughs> everyone, uh, the, the, thing, the thing that I'm really known for in my gym and uh, now starting to get a little bit known for in the competition scene is not necessarily the Kimura as a submission, but the Kimura grip as like a transition. That's, yeah, control. this is where um, I wanted to get at because yeah. you were... you were, you were So basically, this, this match, you're using that as a... a primary sort of lever to kind yep. of get all kinds of different position that you right. want to get and you even got you even took somebody's back yep yeah i do transition that to somebody's back yeah. while holding 
uh, you know, sort of fighting for a Kimura at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that Kimura grip allows you. I, I like to think of it as like the the center of like a coordinate system. When I, when I've got that Kimura grip, I can move all the way around their body and use that to kind like of relocate yeah. myself. Exactly. So it's it's awesome That's because cool. I get the grip and everyone's like, oh man, I'm I'm going to defend this Kimura, and, and right. suddenly I'm triangle choking them from the back you uh-huh. know, or finishing like uh-huh. I've. I've uh, with with that I take the back a lot with it, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll catch it from from half guard, catch that grip, and then let them pass my guard, and use the Kimura grip to flip them over and take their back. Uh-huh. And it, man, it always catches. And is that the surprise. thing? I mean, like if you if somebody feels that oh shit, you've got the grip on my arm, you're gonna fucking break my arm. Is that the first thing they're gonna try to do is escape from your? Uh, yeah. So you know you know you're you're playing chess where it's like. You know, like three moves from now, they're going to do this, and th- I'm going to be waiting there yep. with my fucking oh, thighs my wrapped around their neck. And what's really yeah. great is like guys that I train with are like they're starting to get real wise to it. So, <laughs> yeah. so what I'll do is like I'll start setting up one of the like really convoluted back takes from it. You know, where I release them and like spin, do do like a log roll and flip them over to take yeah. it back. And then I'll stop halfway through and just finish a Kimura on them. And they're like, oh, damn, like, I forgot. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's, it's you a threat act, yeah. the, the entire time. So it would be, yeah, like, it would be cool. like a basketball player uh, coming down the court, hitting, let's say, like three threes in a row from one side of the court or something. So then all the defense is keying on them. And then they're taking advantage of that. People are stepping out to them faster yep. to try to get them at the three-point line. Then they fake the three, go under them, and yeah. take the ball in the lane and, and yep. lay it up. And so then they do that, say, once or twice successfully. Then now they're keying on them because they've scored four or five shots in a short amount of time. Yeah. But So they're having success, but it's predicated on, I started making threes, like the bread and butter stuff first. Right. Or just pick a spot to start really you know, creating attention from. And then using that as a distraction to kind of get other things done. And then you can, you can probably sequence that into like okay I, ha- I hooked them on uh, stepping out to my threes now I've got them over committing to my threes and now I'm just laying it in and then now I can actually like uh, catch the ball at the three fake like I'm gonna uh, like you know yep. uh, uh, penetrate and, and fake that fake pull back step up shoot a three like you just start building yeah. reaction you start conditioning other people's reactions is it's, what you're saying that, that metagame is what, what makes it so fun so metagame, creating yeah. something that's either predictable for them or predictable for you mm-hmm. so what I really like to do is is execute something a, a little bit slow and super super obvious so they'll uh-huh. say oh well you know he wouldn't be this obvious so it's a trap and then you execute the obvious thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> they start thinking, yeah. Like, it's like oh, throwing man. like a like throwing a um, like a what is it? Is it like a slider? Is like a, it like comes? Is this like a knuckleball knuckle comes yeah. so slow? Yeah. And it's like you know the whole thing is like to throw yeah. the ball as hard and fast you can so they can't hit it. And then you throw it fucking slow as shit <laughs> and then just swing it in air because yes. you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I guess it's like a, in the art world it would be like a, like Barnett Newman stripe or something. It's like yeah, it's like people that can just paint anything in the world and then all of a sudden like you know they can do really deep surrealist paintings or whatever and then all of a sudden you're just met with a line yeah you know yeah, or something yeah. what yeah. does it mean yeah <laughs> i like awesome. that so, so you're you're rooting them in 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 their instincts and then pl- playing uh, upon those instincts yep, exactly so how long have you been uh I, like i mean since you've gotten in the gi like what's your how long have you been studying uh it's uh, a little under three years a little now. under three years yeah. and are you a blue belt now or yeah, what are you yeah, okay. i'm a three-stripe blue belt okay i'm um, looking for uh 
purple probably around August. Is it, it's oh, typically okay. um, IBJJF requirements are like two years at Blue Belt. Uh-huh. Um, so I was promoted August of 2016. So. Mm-hmm. You know, fingers crossed. Long as yeah. I don't screw anything up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I, I can I can vouch that he's he's on that level because um, one time we were watching fights over here, and you know, like when you're a kid and you're watching like football or something with your brothers or whatever, and you're a little ten year old. You, like during commercials or whatever, like yeah. you've got to play football, right? Yeah, right. Like grab a pillow and <laughs> right. run to the couch. <laughs> yeah. So we were watching fights, and it was sort of in between fights, and so we started um, fighting like, jujitsu fighting in the middle of the living room. And I say like it really wasn't a fight; it was more like show me this thing. Yeah, and then uh, and then within. Uh, 1.6 seconds <laughs> he had my throat and, this, <laughs> and I realized that uh, that hurts yeah. <laughs> like it's not just about ooh will I be unconscious or not soon yeah. it's not like forget all that Yeah. just when when things inside your body are being compressed <laughs> yeah. it sucks <laughs> yeah, it yeah. really sucks yeah. and then like the next day I was feeling it like I really just felt like somebody like, hit me in a, with a bat in the throat, <laughs> and he was going so light and so yeah. easy. And I, yeah. I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'm so cut out for this." Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I can I can vouch. Uh, there's, yeah. you know, I'm not e- I'm not that easy. I mean, I'm a I'm, yeah I'm pre white belt. I'm a, tra- I'm a clear belt. <laughs> you got you got a clear. You got a stripe on that clear belt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a white translucent plastic <laughs> belt. Yeah, That's I mean, weird. we always joke that the uh, the toughest belt to earn is the white belt because most people come in off the street promotion from your leather belt to the white belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because a lot of people just bail immediately. Yeah, right? yeah. I uh, I've done a few uh, no gi classes at my gym, mm-hmm. and I I mean. That's really my only actual experience with doing jujitsu, and all I've really learned is that I'm completely fucking confused. <laughs> I have no idea what to do. I know that all of my instincts are wrong. <laughs> That's the only yeah, thing yeah. I've really learned oh, yeah. is like everything you think you should do, don't do any yep. of that shit because <laughs> yeah. it's all wrong. Like you're I, the first time I did this, I just ended up sort of just sort of you know working my way through some bullshit wrestling that I don't know how to do either and then you know after about a minute and a half I was completely exhausted (laughs) and then then the submissions began (laughs) I just kept getting you know over and over somebody just be crushing me and I'd be like please stop crushing me (laughs) so when you when you're training like and you're training say with somebody as far less skilled or totally new or whatever is there anything in the training where you actually let people succeed so that they can put those paths together? Or is it something where you're always, is there something about it that's intrinsic that you don't do that? No, you, you do want to play, you know, yeah. you, you want to let it get to that point. Because if I come out there and take like a, a day one white belt and I just try to tap them as many times as I can, as fast as I can, it's, it's not really helpful for either of us because for me... I'm not working on developing anything because his reactions are not correct yet. He, yeah. he hasn't even learned how to defend himself. Yeah. Right. What I'm doing is just whatever I want. It's basically just drilling submissions on him. Yeah. Right. It's like a lawyer litigating against an infant. Exactly. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And and for them, they're, they're not learning Objection. anything. <laughs> so uh, what I really like to do with, with brand new people is sometimes I'll just like lay on my back and be like, all right, you're, you're going to try to pass my guard. I, I'm not going to close my guard at all. Just try to get past my legs. Yeah. And it's just when they see like the leg pummeling, you'll end up sweeping them just using your legs because they don't have kind of that stability and base yet. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting because they'll, 
they'll start getting frustrated and they'll be like, uh, all right, now, now I want to try that. So then they lay on their back and I'm like, all right, I'll pass your guard and <laughs> over and over and over. But just, only worried about legs at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Just trash their guard and then reset. You know, <laughs> just so that they, at first, like they get familiar with, oh, okay. So they're, they are. So when you say trash their guard, you mean like get them to sort of like side control or do you actually just mount them and be like, what? And then, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all, it's always, uh, <laughs> Trying to be very positive about them. Yeah, <laughs> like, what, what is your yeah, when but, you're working um, somebody like that? Like, what is your what is your finish line to be like? And your legs failed you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no uh, there's no easy way to say it to someone that you're you're terrible. At yeah, have, you, have you ever yeah. seen somebody come in or you know trained with anybody where they're very low level, but it's some sort of amazing instinct that they have for oh, it or dude, something? Yeah, a- actually, just just last week we had this guy walk in. And he's like, hey, this is my first class, never done it before. He's coming from some town for a few months because his town got like hit with a hurricane or something so he's just oh, no. in town he's like ah, i figure i'd do something new so i'm here for jujitsu he's in in med school right now absolutely brilliant guy and i was like all right we'll, we'll play around a little bit and i was like man your instincts are phenomenal his base is incredible he huh. he like I, I put my hands behind my behind my head and was like oh i'm just gonna play with him with my guard and i i almost Got my guard passed because yeah. his instincts were so good. I wasn't ready for it. Far but out. When you have guys who are like really, really intellectual, when they're watching what other people in the gym are doing, you'd be amazed at how quickly they can pick it up. And the other thing is like just general kinesthetic awareness. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, one of the, one of the great examples of that in the jiu-jitsu community, there's a guy named uh, Gio Martinez. He's a black belt under Eddie Bravo, and Eddie Bravo is Tony Ferguson's jiu-jitsu coach. Right. So he's. Uh, legend in jiu-jitsu and so this Gio Martinez guy he came in as a professional um, break dancer so just his body awareness was incredible flexibility was amazing and he earned his black belt in three years and he Whoa. was just destroying guys I can see break dancing actually awareness. that's a funny thing like I can yeah. see break dancing for whatever reason being like a really quick way to <laughs> well, like, what was so amazing about that was like after after training with him Eddie took some of his breakdancing stuff and implemented it into oh, like their so general cool. like training See? regimen. Like, that's cool. Man, do these exercises just great for your kinesthetic awareness. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that like when I say that, you know, the the one of the first, you know, big takeaways of, of trying to do some jujitsu, I mean, to this to this, you know, to, to the description I just gave, it's like the 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 biggest takeaway for me was I didn't expect to be so fucking confused. Yeah. And, and it's very confusing because you're you're, like you say, you're trying. You're in this three-dimensional space, trying to understand where this other person's body is moving in relationship to your body, and where you're moving your body in relation to their body. And it's like, <laughs> and it's not, not all visual input either. Yeah, right? no. Exactly. I mean, a lot of times you can't see anything because yeah. this guy's got your head under his arm or something. So you're having to just find it. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's uh, it's definitely you know, it's very confusing. I mean, even striking can be very confusing, but it's it's a little bit less so, I think, because you're not so tangled together. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, I think the the mental stimulation of jujitsu is what makes it like so. <sighs> Addicting for so many people. Uh-huh. Like you, you get these guys who are like two, three months into jujitsu, and they're already getting like jujitsu tattoos and like all about like <laughs> yeah, jujitsu yeah. lifestyle and everything because it's it's so addicting because it gets your brain so involved with it. Like I, I never had that level of stimulation when I was boxing, when I was uh-huh. doing taekwondo or anything. Just the the complexity of it uh-huh. makes it incredible. And one of the things that um, John Donaher uses to describe it is it's like. 
you're trying to solve a puzzle that's constantly changing uh-huh. by creating a puzzle for your opponent to have to solve. And you want your puzzle to be harder than his, and you want to be able to solve his faster than he can solve yours. Oh, uh-huh. wow. So it's yeah. super, super convoluted. Right. It reminds me in a way of like I've done a lot. Of, I haven't done a lot of uh, rock climbing like outside, mm-hmm. but I've done uh, I've done a little bit of that. But I, I really got into climbing in, in gyms, and then I yeah. just I didn't really feel like completely motivated to go out and climb on real rocks i just enjoyed the workout and i enjoyed the fucking puzzle of yep. it all you know and it was like that was to me was like the the thing that i loved most about climbing was just like you know you're you get strong and your arms look great and, you know all that stuff's wonderful but and you know sort of like you know people who climb are generally a pretty cool group of people but the thing i loved about it was like you know i know i can do i know i can climb this route mm-hmm. there's looking there's no reason why i shouldn't be able to but I get to this crux here and I don't understand, like, what if I cross my legs? What if I, what if I grab onto that? What if I double on that hold and then, and then do this thing or whatever? And, and it's kind of the same way again, too, because when you're rock climbing, you have these, you have these instincts to just like, your first instinct is just fucking muscle your way through it. Right. And then your next instinct is to like close your eyes because you're falling, (laughs) you know, but it's kind of the same thing where it's like, it's not about like being real strong. So it's a little bit, I mean, that's a part of it, but, but a lot, it's really about, Putting your body in the right position, exactly. So determining that, how you need yeah, to move, so that yeah. four moves from now, I've got one hand here and my foot yep. there. But I know that if I get to there, I'll be good to finish the route. But I don't know how to go from here to there. Oh, that's <laughs> what I love. I love gym climbing so much. My, my brother's going to kill me for this. My, my brother climbs all the time. He's actually got a rock climbing wall in his garage. Like mm-hmm. he, he builds like a little that's cool. rock climbing. What's wall. the address? This sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds great. Well, it's up in Ohio. But if you guys are ever in the area, definitely let um, me know. He's got, he's got the largest mountain in Ohio in his <laughs> Yeah, it, it probably is. Fucking got to take a little oxygen up to the top of his gas station. Our own garage. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's all about like the outdoor climbing. But I, I love the gym climbing because it is, it, it is puzzle aspect. You know, right. it's, it's like you That's have the part to of it solve like. this. Right? And somebody's yeah. laid it out, obviously, with all these things in mind. It's right. a very high level yeah. Yeah. It's more of a game. Yeah. You know, and when you're climbing outdoors and stuff, it's like the, that game aspect is there, but it's not as much. Right. You know what I mean? And I just want to play the silly, colorful game. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I like playing, uh, we, we would play a game called add-on where, uh-huh. where you would start from like one particular position and you just add one movement from there and then the next person goes to the same starting point takes your movement and then has to add another move on from there uh-huh. so it's like creating a route on yeah. the fly and uh-huh. trying to pick your partner's body type to create a move that's going to be more difficult for them than it is for you yeah but put them in a position where it's hard for them to set up the next move from right there. which is cool because then it has you automatically training each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses exactly. to make everybody better. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's yeah. cool. That's one of the things about jujitsu that's interesting too. Is like like climbing. It's it's like it's fascinating to me to see the way that you know different body types, for instance, will sort of develop their own styles. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And Absolutely. it's like because with something like jujitsu, I mean, obviously, I I feel very confident about the idea. Like we we've had a couple of other guys here recently who have talked about. Yeah, well, by the time you're a blue belt, basically, you should pretty much be able to take out anybody who doesn't train. Like, yep. And doesn't matter how big they are, how strong they are. I can take I can choke that motherfucker right, right now because they just don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think that or submit them or whatever. But but I think uh, but the thing that's interesting about it to me is that 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 you know that applies for you know 
the, that applies for the 50 year old, the Anthony Bourdain, he can do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and the, the, the 20 year old kid, he can do it. You know, the, the little girl who comes here after school, she'll fucking tear your throat <laughs> out. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like, I think it's really interesting the way that, you know, and like you say, like, you know, this, you do, you got into using this certain grip and that's mm-hmm. become the central part of your game. But somebody else, it's like, oh, they're like the fucking sweet master. Yeah. Or they're the fucking rear naked choke guy or whatever. Because, because of, you know, their body, their brain, you know, because of who they are. And that yeah. like expression of who they are comes through eventually, you know? Well, and so, so that, and I would love to talk a little bit about, um, or Ortega's fight uh-huh. because yeah. to me, that's a great example of, of that where, I mean, so you're, 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 you know, you're pressing this, this Kimura issue on everybody <laughs> and kind of using it as this, uh, attractant, but, you know, but that, that allows you, as we kind of <clears throat> talked about to either, you can still just maybe your odds of finishing Kimura's are better than ever because people think you're just using it to transition to something right. else. Yep. And then you're just kind of playing back and forth on that. But once you've got their attention on anything, then you've got, you're up the ladder a little bit because you've got something that you can kind of play with or one of those points on the climbing wall that, you know, yeah. it's all the same kind of thing. Right. And then, so then, uh, Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar, Frankie Edgar, obviously legendary, uh, hall of fame striker, uh, primarily and wrestler. And uh, and then fighting Brian Ortega, who's a very long jujitsu master, but is no slouch clearly in striking, as yeah, we've learned, because right. <laughs> he knocked out Frankie Edgar, which had never happened before. Yeah, and that was totally insane. And I don't think anybody who ever put yeah. money that on that was no. is yeah. filthy rich now because the yeah. odds were very stacked for that. I was first so round shocked. I was just yeah. like, what? The so fuck? so I guess what I think is interesting <laughs> is like in a in a in a more high level situational way, I think that Ortega. I'm wondering if in his mind he really I don't think that he was ever going to go into that fight with a strategy of like I'm going to match or exceed Frankie Edgar's striking and pace like right. I, I know yeah. that he didn't do that but I do wonder if he just was right to think that Frankie Edgar and his team would be so consumed with how to keep Frankie Edgar from getting on the ground with him at all or getting caught in one yeah. of these like clenches uh, right. on the cage where he will just grab your neck yep. somehow because he's so tall, so long, especially over Frankie. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. like, there's really not a safe place except for, for Frankie, except for the middle of the ring. Yeah. So what an interesting choice. Just I think from a uh, strategy standpoint, um, and just as a matter of maybe just testing yourself or being ready for it or whatever. Just, but Ortega is so transcend transcendentally better than anybody else in jujitsu that he's going to run into that. And this is almost like where Damian Maya never quite got it. Um, yeah. But like he, so Ortega just, I think, I think he actually really, because you never saw him grabbing or trying, like he wasn't. He wasn't even trying for it. Exactly. He wasn't even trying for it. And so then he's just standing in the middle. I don't think he was worried about Frankie's power too much or anything, but still like, um, you know, he's, so I think, I think it's a really interesting strategic choice to just to be like, uh, it's kind of, it reminds me, um, like I remember when I played tennis when I was a kid and this is before, so maybe I'm a pioneer in tennis. You guys will find out about this, but <laughs> no, I did win a youth tournament once when I was a little kid kind only because I had, I just back in those days, if you were a player that had a two handed backhand, then you were considered, it was like a sissy move or whatever for, for a male tennis player to use a two handed backhand. That was like what girls did because they are quote unquote, not as strong or weak or whatever. Okay. But I started using the two handed backhand and basically just destroyed people. And I, it was my sort of Kimura where it was like, 
all I would do, and I wasn't trying to be evasive with this is what brought me to this point. I was never trying to hit away from people with my two-handed backhand. I was trying to hit it as straight, close to the net as possible. No spin. I don't care about that. I'm just going to hit power shots back at you, and I'm going to aim at your chest yeah. every time. <laughs> yeah. And what that does is, and so when all of a sudden they've got a ball coming at them that is probably faster than most of them that they've ever seen or experienced, yeah. that split second where their brain has to figure out whether it's going to be a forehand or a backhand situation, yeah. uh, because it's really just coming straight at them especially when they're up a little close yeah it would just create just enough hesitancy and at that level of tennis you know kid tennis whatever to where i would just walk right through everybody because uh you know and so in a weird way it was actually my weakness that i just sort of made a strength by doing something like that and just going right after that so i saw ortega's fight and was like man he didn't it wasn't that he went he was like, I'm going to, because people want to meet the other person. Like you always hear fighters say like, well, I'm going to, I'll stand, I'm not afraid to stand and trade with him or whatever, yeah. but this is way deeper level of like, this is not about being afraid or not. Like he, I think he really strategically was like, I'm going to go right for the ring, the, the center of the ring and, and I can strike with him. And also he's so long, the way he caught oh, him yeah. was with an elbow. Right. Cause he's that like, I can't, nuts. he's like, I basically yeah. can't punch people that close. I have to <laughs> yeah. elbow them. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Frankie, man. And that that brutal. Ti- yeah. And that's like, and that like that, the timing on that elbow was so amazing. And I think he was also, he was also sort of like, wasn't he also sort of like throwing like left hooks and stuff? And so he was sort of setting him up for like looking for a left hook. And then instead he threw that elbow and, and that was the beginning of the end. And then that fucking beautiful uppercut, uppercut man, you know, man. just takes him up off his feet. That was yeah. unbelievable. It's insane. I couldn't believe that fight, man. That, that was one of those moments where it's like, I love both those fighters and I couldn't yeah. wait to see that fight. But then when that result came down, I was I couldn't believe it, you know. And my wife was watching it with me because she's got a thing for Brian Ortega. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I call Brian Ortega the Magic Christian. <laughs> so uh, um, uh, uh, that's a that's a there's a book called The Magic Christian. No, it's yeah. funny. Like everybody, like all all the MMA media guys are just like, oh, his eyes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but but so 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 I was such a of, macho sport, right? Come, yeah, you know. yeah, and then it's like his dreamy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up. Um, they are. Of, they are very blue. Yeah, I was very. Uh, I mean, I was paying attention to that fight anyway. But it ended up being sort of like that was like the first fight of the night where it's like okay, everybody's paying attention now because my wife's not doing whatever she's doing because she wants to see Brian Ortega fight. <laughs> so it's like okay, and she like she likes Sean O'Malley too. So we watched him. Well, that was another one. That was another one that yeah, was really great. And I think Sean O'Malley is another example of a guy who's sort of like we were talking as we were getting started here about fighters who. Um, you know, do all this exciting stuff, but sometimes, you know, have holes or lack of the discipline mm-hmm. or they don't seem to have all the pieces together in terms of how their offense sets up their defense and their defense sets up their offense when it comes to striking or right. wrestling or whatever. Yep. And I think that, that so far with him, I'm really very happy and excited that in the last two fights that he's had, it's like, this kid's not just a weirdo who's going to be fun to watch. He's actually really good and, and, and shows like smart improvements, you know, he's getting better. That's, that's what I love to see more than anything else is guys. And and this is one of the things that I saw with, um, McGregor, you know, Diaz too, that, yeah, he came in with a strategy Mm. and he executed it. Oh, you know what? The second, uh, second fight. Yep. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I can kick this guy. Right. So (laughs) that's one of the leg kicks that, that I really liked liked about Connor is seeing him be intelligent with that yeah. seeing him grow from that 
scene. and all the cardio he was doing trying to oh, get ready exactly. for the fight, yeah. and also just also the mental sort of understanding that I'm going to be fighting this guy for five fucking rounds. Like, there's no way I'm not going to be. I already fought him once. He won't fucking go down. Right. Yeah. You know, I have to get through five rounds, and I'm going to be exhausted in the third. So right. now that I know that. I have I I have to prepare myself to push through that. You know what I mean? And the fact that they were, you know, and that's also too, that's where you really see how much of a team effort all that stuff really is. Mm-hmm. That at the end of the day it's like, you know, he needs that coach, he needs that nutritionist, he needs all those people to to all stick to that plan right. and yeah. everybody be like you know, Connor, like, you know, here comes, it's, you know, two minutes and 30 seconds yeah. into the third round, you know, the gas tank is empty now, yep. you know, what's he going to do, you know, and it's like, I'm going to do all the things we worked on. I'm going to hold him. I'm going to run. Right. I'm going to do all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, like the team with the nutritionists and everything, because yeah. that's, that's something that like a, a lot of people discount is the, the level of athleticism of these uh, guys. Yeah. They're absolute freak athletes. Yeah. And that a lot of times that's a differentiating factor. Like that's when it, when I was a collegiate boxer, our our coach would tell us every single time he'd say, "Guys, the more fit fighter is going to win. You guys just mm. aren't good enough to out technique these other guys. Yeah, so you have to be more athletic. Than yeah, them. yeah. But if you can last, if you can, if you can have a little bit of wind in your sails in the last round, right? You might, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. how good they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. When they're <clears throat> when their hands are just down at their sides, yeah. Then it doesn't matter how how good their left hook is; they <laughs> yeah. can't throw it. Right, right. if it's yeah. so exhausted, and you just yeah. straight down the pipe, one two, one two, one two. One, yeah, two, no, no, no. I mean, that's the, I mean, all of the fighting arts, I guess. You know, any kind of like combative thing, it's like that's like the thing that that people don't really realize is it's it's a lot more like. It's a lot less. It might somewhat seem like it's like a football game, and it's like no, it's a fucking marathon. You yeah. know what I mean? That's oh, yeah. it's like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Those guys look like, um, you know, uh, like somebody like Jose Aldo. It's like, yeah, you, he looks like he looks like a fucking marathon runner for a reason yeah. because he can do this endlessly. <laughs> you right. know, exactly. just go, 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 and that result that that that's that's the that's that's where it's. That's where it's happening, you know. It's good if your arms are strong. It's good if your hands are fast and all that stuff. But when it's all said and done, it's like, can you keep doing it or can't you? Right. You yeah. know, muscular endurance and yeah. continued force production. Is continued it, it, force production. <laughs> <laughs> this is a continued force production. Continued force production present. <laughs> um, and also, too, back to the coaching thing, I wanted to say, like when we were talking about, you know, the the whole um, um, the uh, you know uh, spatial you know aspect, the I can't remember the kinesthetic sort of spatial aspect yeah. to to that. How much of a like when you're in one of your competitions, how much? What's how much of a role is your is your coach playing in that in terms of being able to tell you what the fuck is going on? You know, like like we had a guy on here the other day who got a guy into an arm bar in a recent MMA match. And then uh, and then his coach was like, belly down, belly down. And then he rolled over on his arm yeah. and then, bam, the fight ended because that was like the, the answer to like this guy won't be able to struggle anymore. If you go if you get on his arm, you know, and pin it to the mat under your belly. Yep. And it's like but he in his own brain hadn't got to that point yet yet because because he just hadn't gotten there oh yeah you know? the third party perspective yeah. makes it feel like you're 10 steps ahead of them and and there's a i actually like to play around kind of both ways so i i've done probably about half my competitions i've done without a coach uh-huh. like, i'll just go there by myself um and when i've got a coach there I, I can totally listen to exactly what he's saying, execute step by step. Yeah, he sees it. He's, I mean, he's nine-time world champion, so he knows exactly what to talk me through, and I have right. no problem executing that. What I really love doing is listening to the other guy's coach. <laughs> so I've got 
uh, that's one of the reasons I like competing without a coach is that the other guy doesn't get a chance to listen to my coach. Right. Because when you're listening to the other guy's coach, yeah. we've talked about this before. It, yeah. it creates a, a different different type of metagame where it's like, yeah. well, do I want to execute what my coach is saying? Or if that guy is going to defend that, do I want to uh-huh. catch something else he's yeah. transitioning off of? And I, I have one one match in particular that I loved where um, I shot kind of shot a triangle choke on a guy but didn't lock it. Just got the one in, one like one arm in, one arm out. Just kind of clamped him. And his coach started coaching him out of the triangle. And he started coming up trying to pass. And then he started coaching him about something else. So I let him get really comfortable and then lock the triangle. So, uh, so and by locking, you mean like that you're... So you have one leg around the back of his head and then the other up over a shoulder. And you're trying to get that leg over your ankle? So, yeah, I'll, I'll do... Um, <laughs> Like a, a pre-triangle, you just kind of cross your ankles like you would with a regular guard position, mm-hmm. but you've just got one of his arms out. So you're just isolating his head and arm between your legs at that point. Yeah. So you have one arm uh, up around his neck. I mean, one leg up around his neck and then one leg uh, under his arm. Yep. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but instead of getting like the figure four lock where you're, yeah. you've got like the ankle under your knees, you're like up over his back. And just crossed your ankle. So uh-huh. you're still kind of clamping him, holding him down. Will you demonstrate on Sensei Joe real quick here? <laughs> I would love to have all about that. <laughs> so, so we, yeah, we can do like a, uh, just the, yeah, you hear that, the, the screaming. It makes it so real. <laughs> right. Must be very effective technique. It sounds terrible. It sounds awful. <laughs> but it's, it's super fun to, to listen to coaches and to see like low level coaches. What they'll do is like, if my coach is saying, hey, like, break his posture their coach will just say hey don't let him break your posture yeah and they'll the coaches will be listening to each other as well and be coaching against what the other coach is that's saying. hilarious that really takes that's so the metagame as you call it that makes it really exponential yeah. because it's yeah. about you're trying to perceive so you're trying to get your you know everything's dependent on how many sources of input that you can process at one time mm-hmm. yeah and so you're taking input from the coach dialogue but also like their sort of sub meta yep. conflict dialogue whatever <laughs> And then what's real factor fiction? What are they saying that's legit? Right. What are they saying that might be um, uh, also like a, a manipulative thing to yep. coax you into something? Or like, there's so many layers there at that point, right? Yeah, and that's um, I, I I really like my coach in that he's really good at recognizing what each of his competitors like to do really well. So first, he can coach you through your high percentage finishing positions. But the other thing is, like, for me, I play kind of a, a wacky style. He knows that I'm, I'm pretty calm going into competition. So a lot of times he won't coach me at all. He'll, he'll tell me beforehand, like, hey, this is the stuff I want you to execute or just play your game. Yeah, or and just like, hey, you should try to totally win. <laughs> exactly. He's, oh, just go out and submit that guy. Because yeah. my, my, my game is, is really, really submission-oriented. Like, yeah. a, a lot of guys are like, oh, I'm going to score a takedown or I'm going to score a guard pass. I'm going to pin him, hold him down, rack up points for a while. Yeah. And I've, I've, had, uh, I've had 30 wins in competition, and 29 of them are by submission. Mm. So it, everything for me is always trying to, trying to go for yeah. a finish. And that, that one that I didn't finish is still probably my most disappointing. <laughs> Did you win? You won, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I won. Yeah, I had, uh, and I had him in one of my favorite finishing positions. Um, I, I had him in crucifix. And uh-huh. I was 
wasn't wasn't quite able to finish it before the bell. It's interesting because I think you know when it was around you know a few weeks ago when the Ortega fight happened, and I can't remember who it was maybe Luke Thomas. I was listening to some podcast talking about that fight, and they were talking about the fact that like you know somebody like he's more like the fact that he knocked out Frankie Edgar in the first round, like all of that makes no sense in terms right. of the betting or anything else because yeah. nobody saw that coming. Because traditionally this guy chokes people in the third round, you yeah. know what I mean, right. and and might even kind of look like he could lose the fight until yeah. he very calmly wins it by submission. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. And it's 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 interesting because he was uh as I remember they were talking about that and talking about how, you know, some fighters are going to go out there and they're going to be thinking about how to win the game, you know, and how to score yep. the points right. and and you know if I hurt him maybe I'll finish him, you know. Mm-hmm. But that somebody like Ortega, he's totally going out there like almost like I don't give a fuck about that part of right. it because I'll just finish him. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and trust in my skills. And yeah, just, I'm going to believe that I'll find the opening and that when I do find the opening, it'll be over. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, like you say, I trust I trust that I can create the right situation and take advantage of the situation. Right. You yeah. know? And I'm, so my game isn't going to be taking people down or, or scoring points with strikes or whatever. My game is going to be sort of whatever finding my way to from point A to point B and then I finish him yeah. you know and in the meantime I might get hit and might get taken down <laughs> myself I might get kicked you know what I mean but yeah it's, it seems like people are either one way or the other yeah. whether they're strikers or not or whatever it seems like people are either like all about getting the finish like finish or die yeah uh, right. or they're completely the, the opposite where they're like I'm just gonna execute this sort of mildly aggressive game plan to create as many opportunities as possible right. for potentially a finish and if it avails right. itself as this sort of natural yeah. outcome then I will seize that opportunity. Right. But it seems like there's not much in the middle. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that again, that comes down to that whole thing of like, you know, a fighter developing their style or whatever. And if, like you said, you know, if you're somebody like Conor McGregor, it's like, yeah, so what, you got like uh, knockout power and and, and a, like a small gas tank? You better knock some people out. <laughs> you know, that sounds like the best place for you to be. Yeah. Just, you know, pressure people and then counter punch them. Yep. And, and most of them, fall, most of them, most of them fall down when I hit them. Then <laughs> <laughs> they crumble. The featherweights crumble. <laughs> the bigger man. <laughs> man, that guy needs to fight. So. Yeah, I know, I know. So let's, 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 let's uh, just talk really quick about... Uh, Ferguson and Khabib. I mean, oh, we talked man. a little bit about Khabib, oh, but man. this, like, this is like the uh, best fight possible in the world yes, ever. I've, I yeah. don't think I've ever been this excited about a fight because yeah. they're they're two. I mean, both obviously incredible, incredible fighters, and the way their styles line up against each other is like the perfect for both of them to be the bane of each other's existence. Right, and it's it's gonna be an amazing fight. Like. Tony's such a savage, wild striker, and his jiu-jitsu game is so slick. And yeah. He's really, really good off his back, and Khabib is really, really good at putting people on their back. He's yeah. there and smashing the yeah. shit out of them. Yeah, and in Tony's last—who was his last fight against? Kevin uh, Lee. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and in that fight, I mean, you saw not only is he, like, you know, like you say, on his back, not only is he dangerous with his jiu-jitsu, but he threw fucking crazy elbows right. off his yeah. back. Right, yeah, his elbows are yeah. nasty. Yeah, and so it's like, I mean, can you imagine, like, you get this guy on the ground, and the first thing that happens is he starts punching— Punching you or, or, or yeah. elbowing you in the face, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, makes yeah. you not want to be there. That's a really interesting <laughs> point, though. It is because people are going to oversimplify it as like Tony Ferguson's striking against Khabib's wrestling, yeah. and right. that is like a but really binary sort of non or yeah. low resolution way of looking yeah. at the beauty of that yeah. challenge for both of them because there is all that entanglement space in the middle. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And what, what you have to look at on the ground, what and these guys are 
perfect perfect examples of this is look at the ground as like ground fighting instead of grappling yeah that it, it's not just yeah, good point. positional advancement it's not just pinning holding down and going for submissions but there's a striking aspect involved with it yeah and khabib plays that game so well and that he's not looking through like the traditional hierarchy of positions he's not like getting them on the ground like passing their guard getting the side control holding them pressuring getting the mount finishing from there a lot of times he'll get them on the ground He'll get him in their half guard, and what he'll do, what I love that he does, is he will actually like lock his legs around their half guard. Yeah, he's got them pinned there. You see a lot of these guys That's so that brutal. It, it you see these with their legs stuck together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. like they they can't get up yeah that's, that's it's always up against the cage does. too exactly yeah. oh man you just watch their eyes yeah. slowly just the, just the energy it's, and the hope drain like away yeah. they, they <laughs> want him to pass their guard because they've got a, a better chance of yeah. escaping his side control than they bucking do or doing yeah they can't you can't guard. buck somebody that's just latched exactly. onto the tops of your thighs right. with their yeah yeah so you you get a lot of guys like they get to the bottom of the mount and yeah like they're getting smashed for a while but they end up escaping you get in the bottom of Khabib in, in your own <laughs> half guard. It's game, but that's that's why I like Tony Ferguson so much is because that his half guard, so that like the the tenth planet like lockdown style half guard is so unique, so different. Try to try really, to explain really why it's okay. different to if we can possibly do that on yeah. on audio yeah. format. Well, yeah. So without going into the intricacies of like how you lock your legs, what lockdown half guard does is it does a really really good job of extending the opponent and breaking their posture down. Uh-huh. So it makes it tough for them to rain punches on you. Mm-hmm. Traditional like hip clamp half guard, Z guard, um, regular half guard, these are gonna have your opponent kind of further away from you. Mm-hmm. You're you you typically want to have like a knee shield across their their waist or chest, pushing them away. And with the lockdown, when you extend your legs, it actually like pulls their hips into you on uh-huh. top of you. So basically does it so what you're saying is kinda like um if you have hold of another person Typically, with the focal focal point of what you're trying to like, sort of either compress or grab or have a point of leverage from is either going to be like usually it's going to be like their waist or something around their center. But what you're saying is because he can use the, the the legs to wrap around, sort of like imagine just somebody has their legs around, kind of like just above your knees or something like that, to the point where your legs are just kind of pushed together, so you can't really bend your knees, mm-hmm. you can't really spread your legs out or get any kind of uh, propping or sort of positioning or any kind of anything to build like a base from for that right and right. then and then on the other what you're saying though is the other part component so it's not not locking at the waist which is people are going to anticipate normally but you're locking lower for the lower part of your body and then with the upper part of your body you're really concentrated in almost like their kind of chest area and this is I know this is yeah, simplifying yeah. it but well, it's kind of yeah, like fighting for it's like splitting hooks. if you split yeah. the length of a person into equal thirds as opposed yep. to doing it at, at a 50% fulcrum point at their waist right. yep yeah 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 so it, it's really interesting i i love it i play it and what i really like about it is like transitioning back and forth like i i'm i'm a pretty big time half half guard player it mm-hmm. plays in really really well to the kimura game um and it's nice because you can transition between that and regular half guard to get guys running through different ranges they can't set a pace if they're constantly changing ranges uh-huh. so i i think if if ferguson can play that Lockdown half guard really well. It's going to be a, a different yeah. type of issue for Khabib. I'm really interested in seeing what Khabib does to that. Yeah, he's. I mean, if if anyone can smash the hell out of that, it's you know, it's Khabib. Yeah, totally. And and also too, I mean, it's interesting to think of 
you know, I mean, one of the things I love about Tony is like, I love all the unorthodox striking and, and, you know, amazing striking, but then also crazy creative striking, you know, um, I'm really into, I'm really into the way that he can do that. But then he's got the whole snap down city thing where Mm -hmm. he'll also basically take as, as fighters, as fighters attempt to close distance with him, he'll often catch them, uh, in a, in what, you know, just for the sake of argument, like what amounts to like a headlock position where they've, they're looking down and he's getting his snake in his arm under their, their neck and he's doing like a guillotine or a darce choke or something like that. And it's like, there's no reason why when Khabib is closing that distance, there's no reason why Tony won't catch him with something. It could very well happen. That's what I'm kind of interested in is like Tony's got one of the slickest darces in MMA. I I love his darce. Yeah. Tell, tell people what a darce is. Like just if uh, we can do that. you're doing a great job with this battle because this shit's very complicated and it's hard to describe. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's actually it's the same mechanic as the triangle choke that we talked about a little bit earlier. So what you do is you lock their their head and one of their shoulders, basically, in between your arms. You feed from the arm side. You feed your arm deep and then kind of figure for your arms. You put your uh, <coughs> your arm that's feeding under their arm to the side of their neck. You put that palm on your bicep, or ideally all the way around to your tricep, to uh-huh. nice and tight, and then wrap the other arm over their back. And what you do with that? So it's is- almost like an I dream of genie, sort of uh, <laughs> like a like a arms folded. Uh, a little less pleasant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah, you'll be dreaming they, soon, though. <laughs> so, so and so for anybody that doesn't know, so what happens if somebody gets a dart on you? Yep. What what do you feel like? What happens? Oh man, you go to sleep. If, <laughs> if, you, don't, if you don't defend it right, you go to sleep. You've got the uh, the radius of your forearm cutting off carotid artery on one side, and then the pressure that you're putting on their shoulder actually like rotates the shoulder inwards, and they've got their own deltoid cutting off right. their other carotid. You're literally jamming their own arm into yeah. their throat in such a way that you're helping to cut the blood off to their brain. Exactly. So that's, so that's the mechanic of <laughs> yeah. head and arm chokes. So it's advisable yes. to just sort of have weak... Underdeveloped deltoids. Well, it's interesting. So that, that's one of the things. Like if you guys touched on it. Yeah, a but, but you can't choke me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't train deltoids, man. Yeah, yeah. It's like I can't lift my arms, but you can't fucking darse me ever. Yeah. I can't even drive a car, <laughs> motherfucker. Good luck choking me. I wait for the bus. <laughs> like it, it's it's seriously tough to finish guys that have like really scrawny necks and really scrawny shoulders. Uh-huh. And it darse. Uh, uh, I think. The way the darse mechanic works, if you if you finish a lot of topside darses, it's still not too bad to finish really scrawny guys. But if you've got the really scrawny guy in a standard triangle choke, you've got long legs. Like I've got long, lanky legs. It's tough to finish scrawny dudes with those head and arm chokes. Yeah, because you just can't really squeeze is. it tight enough. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or the people like the lumbar that are just angles. people that have no neck. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I had a guy in my last tournament like that. I, I locked two triangle chokes on him, and he just shoulder in, broke through it. I had to Kimura him, and he he was two twenty five, not all muscle. He was a big, he was a thick dude. Yeah. <laughs> he had a, a real hard time uh-huh. trying to triangle that, like he said. And so, was, can I ask how much you weigh? Uh, One seventy. One seventy. So, so this is such a fucking rudimentary question, and I should probably know better. But when you're going to one of these tournaments, is it just by belt only, or is there some kind of weight range of any kind? No, there's uh, there's belt and weight class, and some of the nogi tournaments instead of belt, it's just like advanced or expert division yeah, or yeah, yeah. like novice division or whatever. Right. So um 
some of them you'll do uh, what they call an absolute division. So in absolute, there's there's no weight class. So okay. you just compete against just skills against whoever skills. shows yeah. up. Catch and, weight, catch them all. Right. Like I, I had a guy that was three twenty in Fuck. in one of those and. Um, I, I ended up catching him with a Kamara. I, <laughs> I, I could not believe it when I swept that guy because he was literally just laying on top of me. I, I had him in my guard, and I I could not move him at all. So I just hit a, a cross face sweep on him, literally just like underhook and kind of clinched around his his AC joint to really uh-huh. pull his shoulder into me. Put my other form across his face, and for, with a cross face, a lot of times what you're trying to do is. Uh, twist their neck torque them yeah. yeah yeah so just turn his chin to the side and literally just like pushed his chin to flip him over yeah just, ooh. it's kind of like with what you don't do like, when, man. You, like a, when you see like it's a lot see, of man to move yeah <laughs> like when you see the 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 like in the rodeo when the guy will jump off the jump off and grab the calf and then like grab a yep. horn and grab the chin and just exactly. like twist its yeah. head and flip it to the ground yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like that's how, that's how it looks a lot get like get those guys way. yeah Dude, exactly that's one of the most like <laughs> undervalued aspect of grappling is not not just the neck but like spinal alignment in general uh-huh. like, what I do with a lot of my passing style I, I do low passing a lot of the uh, modern jiu-jitsu stuff guys do what we call like high passes where you you stand you, you're going to be standing up trying to get out of their guard and then run around their legs or slice uh-huh. through their legs and i really like this low super pressure style of passing in which what i try to do is basically bend their spine into a u or twist it one way or another and when you've got really messed up spinal alignment it's just tough to keep your guard you get so weak yeah. It's so weak. Like it try to go and squat and just turn your your ear all the way to your shoulder and try to squat. Yeah. And you lose so much of your force. Interesting. Potential. Yeah. So that that's a lot of what I do is create spinal misalignment and <laughs> use that to my advantage. So so basically this, the people that understand this are you and terrible chiropractors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Oh yeah, like the worst chiro- like you're going to get some chiropractor guy that comes in and he's going to be like, <laughs> "But yeah, I want to learn jiu-jitsu. I'm terrible." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a, and it's interesting though too, cause I know like the guys that I train with, like they're, a lot of the guys that I've trained MMA stuff with, they're, they're way more focused on the jujitsu thing than I am. You yeah. know, they're, they're doing gi, you know, working mm-hmm. with the gi and they're getting their belts and all that stuff. And those guys, I mean like, you know, a lot of those guys are like, oh man, I went to the chiropractor this, this weekend. It was great. <laughs> you know, so a lot of those guys, like they, you end up, I mean, it's people do, this is part of the game. It's oh, like yeah. you get, you get your back torqued out and all right. that stuff happens. What is, the, what is the deal with chiropractors? Cause my opinion is. If they're not doctors, why do they try to act like doctors? Why do they wear like you shouldn't? I feel like you should have more humility in the chiropractor world. I think those guys should not wear. I know some of them are like kind of hip and they wear just like regular clothes, but like you see those guys in like white jackets. You're not a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> just like yeah, just be a be a healing practitioner. I think a lot of people just don't trust someone if they're not wearing like the white lab coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so like, it's, but as you know, is chiropractor. Is the trade of that legit or not? Have you ever been to a chiropractor? Uh, I have, yeah, uh-huh. just once. It was absolutely phenomenal. Really? Yeah. I, would well, I don't doubt that. Ten out of ten, I recommend. I don't anyone. doubt that it's like an incredible. Like I'm sure it feels great. Yeah. My my theory is that unless you're really specifically developing the muscles that allowed the lack of spinal alignment to mm-hmm. sort of happen, then by just forcing your bones into that position doesn't necessarily mean that they'll stay there. Right. And then you're sort of in a position of like being dependent on some level and not thinking about more specifically what you could do. Yeah. Do they, do they go through that and be like, Hey, here's some torsion sort of exercises or something or like, would they just 
go in like it's one of hammer and that, chisel you yeah, back that's into one of the shape. Things that I didn't like about it was that yeah. it was like, all right, so lined everything up. Uh, if you want to come back next week, for yeah. Minute, and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm yeah. not looking to do like routine maintenance with you. Yeah, it's like set me straight once. I got something that's really tweaked. Set that straight. And then I'm gonna go do yoga, man. right? Uh, I'm yeah. Gonna yeah, get my own shit worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah have I you been to a chiropractor that. since, hey, Joe? I've been to a chiropractor. Have you ever been a chiropractor? I've never been a chiropractor, but <laughs> evidently I could be one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, uh, but no, I have been to a chiropractor. I had a, a weightlifting inj- injury, like when my early 20s, like I was squatting and uh, and hurt my lower back, and uh, and and like literally saw on the X-ray how like my hips were all whacked out because my lower back was all whacked out, and then went to a several you know, probably four visits with a chiropractor who did another x-ray and it was all good again. You know what I mean? So, so there was something to it, you know, yeah. my bones were not aligned and then they were. And, and yeah. my, my doctor was actually pretty cool and did give me a lot of like, you know, pointers and I think even some kind of a handout, but he really, his big thing was telling me like lower back. He's like, that's like ultimately like you want to, you want to strengthen your core to keep your lower back, to, you know. So something speaking yeah. to kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I've had a pretty good experience with the chiropractor. All right. Well, yeah. I regret anything so. I said. That, that, <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, but I agree with you. I mean, nobody wants to be going to a regularly seeing a doctor for anything. You know, I have I mean? a weird trust issue with anything that's medical that is next to a subway. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What's where's my my doctor? Yeah, my doctor's kind of all on her own. She's like over in a little plaza. That's kind of why it freaks me out. <laughs> like, uh, you know, the Vanderbilt healthcare stuff. Now they've got these. Uh, uh, you know, places that are in shop. They've taken over all these shopping centers in Nashville uh, where they have like out clinics, whatever, you know. Right. Like at the old are, Hundred Oaks Mall kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it's so it's uh it's actually really great because yeah, convenient. Super convenient, actually high level of service. You can get all this diagnostic stuff done there. It's not like you're just at yeah. some bandage place, you know. Right. They can do real, you know, yeah. uh X rays and yeah. all the other things. And uh and so I think it's really cool, but it just, it's just, there's something that freaks me. Like even the place that I go to, I think it's next to a, like a sushi restaurant. Uh-huh. I just feel weird. Oh, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like medical things should not be near like, yeah. like, or like rent. Like what, what if a Chuck E. Cheese opened up next to it after <laughs> yeah. the, the sushi place or whatever? I, like, what do you do there? My, my doctor's next to <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. I went to one of those eye doctors at the mall. I uh-huh. had, uh, so I, I tore my cornea, um, like, training. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, like somebody didn't s- cut their nails. It was it was actually a gee dragged across my eye, oh, like, no. like right across my eyeball. Yeah, perfect. Really, really unpleasant. So that, <laughs> that happened like like eight months ago, and um, it, when it healed, it, apparently it didn't heal right. So I had this small rough part on my eyeball, and yeah, uh, this was just a few weeks ago. Um, during uh, during the night, apparently my my eyeball attached to the back of my eyelid because <gasps> it had this this rough spot. And when I opened my eye in the morning, <gasps> it just peeled back a layer of my oh, eyelid. Super excruciating. I was screaming. Okay. Like, Can we just pause there for a oh second? <laughs> that is the the absolute worst. <laughs> waking up, like I, you hear yeah. stories all the time. Like I woke up and this happened, or yeah. whatever, or this woke me up. Yeah, that is one hundred percent the worst. <laughs> That's that's you know yeah zero out of brutal. ten do not recommend to anyone yeah <laughs> so you went to the doctor how was so that you're like oh, ah! absolutely like best best thing ever like the fact that this woman could deal with me while I was like screeching like a banshee oh. in, in in the mall there there are all these like 
it's it's like nine o'clock in the morning at the mall. So like it, most people are like in a kiosk? out at their day jobs. <laughs> yeah. and there's there's all these like old retired ladies <laughs> right, there. Like, like I'm just trying to pick up my <laughs> yeah. glasses. Like mall walkers That's, are there, yeah. screaming, screaming bloody. <laughs> oh man, it, it was. It was terrible, but her patience was incredible. Oh, cool! The fact that they, I mean, they deal with small people all day long, man. Yeah, yeah. something That's special true. about them. So yeah. Shout then out, you could get shout a out to the eye place in Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> wish, I wish I remembered the doctor lady's name because I'm mean, sure she's. Probably I couldn't listening. open my eyes, so I, I never read the sign. But yeah. 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 <laughs> no, that's a, that's a trip. I had, when things go on with your eyes, it's like if you have something painful happening with you. Because I had uveitis, which is like a a weird sort of. Um, sort of an autoimmune kind of random thing that can just appear in people briefly and then it goes away but it's actually like a, a like third something leading cause of blind uh, preventable blindness wow, oh, wow. but it's basically it's like this thing where uh, your body thinks for whatever reason that your eyes are uh, infected or under attack in some way and so as an autoimmune response that is irrationally triggered in your body it sends all these white blood cells to your eyes Ooh. to fight what it is thinking is going on yeah. and like in force. But what in turn happens is your eyes, like I got to the point where it was, it was so painful and it was, uh, so, um, just overbearing that I remember like having my head down and there was just a constant stream of like, it wasn't like, Tears. It was just like water leaking out of yeah. my eyes, like oh. like a, like a spigot, oh, because yeah. my eyes were just so wrecked. And then, uh, so here's the thing. So then, you know, I I had to wait through the weekend or whatever to get the the oh. proper like eye doctor person, like the real deal guy. Yeah. And so by the time I got in there, I was like just like what you're talking about, where I was just like screaming like a yeah. like just. Uh, uh, like a child, and, and I got in there. And so the first thing that here's this is a trip. So. They're like, okay, well, we're going to uh, dilate your eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, like, okay, well, that's just some diagnostic thing that needs to happen now. And so they, uh, di- you know, put the drops in that dilate the eyes. And then the next thing that happens, uh, like, immediately the pain starts to, like, uh, get a lot better. It still hurts incredibly bad, but yeah. immediately I can feel a, a, a difference. But... um but they were like, okay, so um, your eyes are going to be dilated for the next week. Yeah. Yep. I, I had the same thing. So they, yeah. you know, usually every other time I've had my eyes dilated, it's for three or four hours, yeah. and it just things look really psychedelic for a while, and then it's over, and it's sort of like fun. <laughs> <laughs> this was your eyes are dilated for one week, and uh, and then I had to get these uh, steroid eye drops to start fighting what was going on, and, yep. and it ended up being this whole other saga of things where it's like putting steroids in your eye is the worst thing you can ever do. Uh, for your eye, so you're having a battle. Like steroids are necessary to this, but if you you have to be on a very prescribed uh-huh. drop per hour ratio yeah. and all this stuff, and, and then taper it off over months, and it's like this idiopathic thing that it just comes and goes, and there's no reason why. There's no like yeah. nobody knows. Um, nothing you can do about it, whatever. And uh, but anyway, but when they dilated my eyes, uh, it was for for a week, and so I remember being home like the next day, and I. And I realized then, like, I'm in a technology problem now because I couldn't. My phone just looked like a big uh, orb, you know, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't see it even well enough to press buttons to dial a number or read anything right. on it. And so it was sort of like, oh shit, I don't even have a phone. Like, I'm blind at home right now yeah. and have no way to talk to anybody. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. But anyway, so like things with the eyes that hurt really, really, oh, really yeah. bad. Atrocious. I mean, I, I mean, I was at the drugstore when we were getting those eye drops, and and they were like these eye drops are like little tiny bottles, like 350 bucks with health insurance. Yeah. You know, some crazy shit. I don't know what it is. 
and I would have paid a thousand dollars right there for they could have charged me anything I didn't I was just I remember actually the lady was getting mad because I was trying to I didn't want to wait for the transaction to happen with my card I didn't want to wait for the transaction I wanted what was in that bag like if this is going to help me I need it like I mean I'm in the middle of this drugstore just dying it's the worst man and then it makes you just like paranoid after that because it's traumatizing right a lot of times when I'm uh, when I'm training with newer people who are who are kind of spazzy now if they start getting near my eyes at all I'll, I'll close my eyes while I'm training because I'm I'm so scared to have that happen again that that was hands down one of the worst experiences I've ever yeah, had yeah and then now you're afraid of closing your eyes because then what if your eye mysteriously <laughs> binds with the inside of your eye bro, 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 eyelid yeah Jeez, I'll just have my eye removed if that happens again that was terrible it's such a bummer but there's like you know uh, Winkle John and people like that that were just you know oh that's right yeah people that eyes their eye damage was so bad they just stopped doing what they were doing yeah that's nuts it's apparently in this fighting thing you can get hurt yeah <laughs> what <laughs> so what, what's your like what's uh do you have any injuries that uh you don't want your competitors to know about much less would, would you mention here um yeah i've got uh i have a torn labrum um that i've been competing with for about a year now oh wow um <clears throat> i've got a, a popped tendon in my left ankle that still gives me a hard time um i've had a torn mcl that, that that one was that one was bad that one was bad um and uh, you know a number number of other like ruptured tendons and stuff that it happens um but i i like this is gonna sound weird but i really like training injured huh. because it, it forces me to play something besides my A game. Uh, it makes yeah. you develop a style and it makes you become like hyper aware of that injury. Like when I when I snapped my ankle, I would go in, I, I wouldn't put an ankle brace on and I wouldn't tell anyone that I had anything wrong with my ankle because it was like I need to be able to prevent them from getting in a position to attack my ankles. So it's it really drives a different level of <coughs> mental engagement when you have something that that you're aware of having to voraciously avoid getting into that position. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really driven a lot of breakthroughs for me from a technical standpoint, the way to move my body to prevent them from getting to a certain thing. And sometimes it happens like mid-match, you, you tweak something, you have maybe they, they throw on a wrist lock and they don't quite finish it, but your wrist is sore as hell and you, you can't use it, you can't make grips. So it's how, how can I adapt now to be able to continue mm. to attack them? Yeah. So that's life metaphor right there, <laughs> ultimately. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do here. It, you know, it seems like... So like when, when you're in a place where... So you can, you can get wrecked in one way or another. Keep fighting. It's not that you're injured. It's just that they've rendered something kind of useless for the next couple of days. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in that moment. Yep. Yeah, yeah. that'll definitely happen. That happens... I mean, that's probably one of the toughest things for people to get used to when they start competing is they don't realize, like... When you're training in the gym, everyone's like, "Oh man, like I, I go hard. It's uh, I'm ready for this. It's it's different when you compete. These people are going 100. percent They don't know you. They don't care about your safety. You know? Yeah, they're they're doing everything they can to break your body before you break theirs. So that level of intensity causes other types of injuries that you don't have in uh-huh. the gym. So would that would that be a reason also to why, why why it's unfortunate that the belt system is kind of abused in a lot of ways where it's just there's not a lot of 
uh, parity um, in terms of belt levels, from what I understand. Right? Yeah. It, it so you can to, you can be you can be in a competition with somebody that doesn't care about you that really shouldn't be where they are, but they're unwieldy because they're not as experienced in some way. And they, <coughs> it's one thing to get hurt by somebody that went after you with a really nice set of technique, yep, uh, right. techniques, and, and just did it and accomplished it. Yeah. You know, versus somebody that's just. Uh, just you know like if, whatever one of us like going to you know anybody you, you, I've noticed in a lot of competitions that like the best team will always lose to the worst team in the league <laughs> you know what I mean because they play down to the level of what's going on yep. but also people get hurt like crazy and those kind of things because the level's so uh, different that yeah. there's just unwieldy shit going on one of, one of the most difficult skills to have is to um, control someone that's uh, incredibly spazzy and be able to prevent yourself from going to that level. So a lot of guys have kind of an ego problem. You know, when someone ups the intensity, you want to up the intensity right back at them. But if you can stay calm, cool, and collected and let them go really hard and you just use your technique, use your frames, use your leverage, um, that's that's one of the most valuable skills is preventing a spaz from being able to spaz. Uh-huh. As a response. Exactly. Yeah. Based yeah. on either ego or just because you're not being or just aware enough. You're just following. Right. You're, at that point, you're following tempo, which is never going to. Yeah. And that, that actually probably does happen more in the gym than it does in competitions because you'll have guys that you know that you train with every day. And one of them decides to turn it up a notch on you, and you're like, "Well, I, I beat this guy all the time, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it up a level on him." And soon you're both going 110 percent, burning out your grips, freaking yeah. on everything, hurting people around you, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's, it's really tough not to escalate. So what? What like on average, if there's some median, how hard are you going? 50 percent, 70 percent? I know it's very situationally dependent, yeah. but I'm just saying as a rule. How often are you really at full 100%? Because my curiosity ultimately is about like gym versus competition. Right. And how, like, you see, there's always people that, man, you know, like in the gym, he's amazing, but in competition, like, he's just not got it or vice versa. Yeah. So there's, all right. So there's two things going on there. Like, one, one, yeah, the intensity differential. In in the gym, I typically try to go about 80% of what I want my competition to be. So I, I want to be going hard enough. I want to be, working really really hard but one of the things that i don't want to do is overcommit to something get to a position where maybe i've got a kimura locked they've got a really really good grip defending it yeah i I could break their grip and finish the kimura but instead i'm going to transition to an arm bar or i'm going to step back and take their back from there instead and um that's that's what helps stay calm in competition is if you're not used to being able to transition like that, if you spend all your time trying to go hard in the gym and you break their grip every time they have a Kimura defense like that, but they're not defending at 100%. They're not holding on with everything they have because this match is for a belt, you know, then you're not going to be able to finish that when you get to the tournament because you've never done it against someone who's truly resisting 100%. So uh-huh. if you're trying to go too hard in training, you're you're not going to be able to translate well to competition because of that. That's interesting. So that's like that's a, there's a little bit more nuance to it. That's really interesting because it's it's basically uh, you know this opportunity for you like as opposed to falling into the trap of like I'm going to power through this because I've got this grip or I've, I'm I'm staged to to make this kind of a finish or to go for this finish. But if I run into even just if the continuity of that finish is broken, 
don't like pause, reset, try to make an adjustment or break a grip or whatever to then sort of stay on that path. Just see those as just like, great, that's an opportunity to learn how now to get from that focus or point of view or body position or whatever to another place really quickly. Right. Um, opening up essentially the whole set of tools again as opposed to uh, like really heavy-handed kind of uh, stuff. Yeah, that's one of the things that separates a lot of the really good guys is that they have a really graceful way to bail on something and make it still really, really work out in their favor. Graceful way to bail on something. I like that. No, that's really, I mean, just sort of like, that's all about how you're meeting resistance just yep. in whatever you're doing, you know. Uh, right. Yeah, life or martial arts. Um, yeah. Which sensei, Joe? Why are you? <laughs> Why the fuck are you laughing? No, at me I right like now? those. I'm just I like sitting here, stuff. man. I like that stuff like where you where you sort of see like, you know, where you see those lessons, you know, it's, it's interesting to find those lessons in, in general, like, you know, whatever lessons about fighting. I was just the other day when I was at the gym, I was thinking about, sometimes I just end up thinking about things in a unique way. And I think it's because I'm at the gym and it's like, I'm jumping rope and it's boring as fuck. And then all of a sudden I realize, Oh, you know, maybe I'm not reach. Maybe I had this revelation the other day about like certain things you're doing in your life and they come really easy almost to the point where like this thing's just dragging you down some path and it's a great cool path and you're grateful yeah. to be there yeah. but, but you're, you're a like, passenger why did this yeah. work so well like why did this thing i did just work so fucking well that it's like takes on a life of its own i didn't even know to i didn't even do i didn't even it's almost like you're not even doing it it just does it for you and then there's other things you're trying to accomplish in whatever way with your jobs your creativity or your relationships or whatever there's other things you're trying to do and you think that you really want to do this thing but somehow it's just a fucking grind man yeah. and it never stops being a grind and and I'm kind of one of those people who feels like when you're sort of like lined up right and you're sort of following the things you're supposed to be doing they should be smoother and they should work better um I mean it just made me think about like well maybe those things maybe I'm Maybe I'm not, maybe I don't actually believe in these things that I think I believe in. Uh, maybe I'm trying to accomplish goals that I don't even want to accomplish. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I thought of that because I was bored jumping rope and then I was like, whoa. <laughs> like it's sort of a it's, a, it's a more beautiful nihilism. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, a, it's like nihilism but with some uh, <laughs> nihilism light. With yeah, some, nihilism. Some nice landscaping. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's, uh, there's actually a, an, uh, I know Brian's on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? There's no, a there's an really. account called Nihilist Arby's. Yes, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good account where it's always just like you know everything is nothing but enjoy the roast beef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is the best thing. At in the least world. we have roast beef. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy Arby's. They're smart. They're, you know whoever that is, they're getting paid too. Oh uh, yeah, like I think it's beautiful. Yeah, that guy's that guy's found his path. <laughs> yeah, I mean imagine you know being on a date trying to tell a girl like what you do. I'm, I'm Nihilist like, Arby's. I started yeah. <laughs> really, really sarcastic yeah. Twitter. You may have heard of me. Have you heard of Werner Twertzog? <laughs> Twertzog, that's right. Uh, but but I but I do I really do think that like training can give you or like 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 we're just saying like more specifically like that like you realize in 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 you know playing jujitsu that that's like you know that there's there's a graceful way to to sort of quit your agenda. And, to, and to, to sort of reset and find your next agenda yeah. and that it's helpful if you can find a graceful way to do that versus 
just like, oh, you know, this this aspect of my career got really hard and I just fucking got frustrated and quit. It's like, well, there's a way there's a way to do that. That, That's a move you can make, but there's a way to do it correctly. You know what I mean? I think I think on a conceptual level, the the theme that I keep kind of getting in my mind is is just about it's it's uh, the idea that you're looking at things in just a more dimensional way and being able to stitch together different maps or coordinates, like sort of how you opened up talking about the, the Kimura and just using that as sort of a point of orientation right to then sort of uh manipulate all these other circumstances you know i I think that uh you're always trying to find symbiotic relationships between things and whether they're mundane or whether they're you know super cool and creative and Uh like you know whatever it is uh you're trying to uh, always draw relational correlations between all those things and as you continue to do that then there's some resonance or some uh, like harmonic component to that where once you kind of get all those things sort of chiming and, and resonating at the same time, then you're at some sort of greater sense of mental power or focus uh-huh. or, or something. It, there's some, there's some recurring theme there though to me. And I think it's interesting that there's the con the conceptual way about that thinking about that and then life and work and relationships as you were talking about and all those things. And then what you're talking about just with just your physical, a body uh, working against another as an instrument, but really it's it's all rooted in the same. Um, you know, you have to be somebody that is willing to maybe snap an ankle now and again yep. to, to do what you're doing. Um, but otherwise, it's all rooted in the same sort of puzzle uh, or whatever that everybody's like trying to figure out. Even in the most primitive ways, you know, you think about I don't know, should I? send my kid to daycare or should I have a full-time job? I don't know. I'll have more money, I guess, but then I won't, I don't know. Like you're just constantly weighing out all these interrelational problems and then trying to apply a solution based on the most, the greatest uh, truth that lies in any of those things. Like, so in the dilemma that I was just talking about, like maybe you're you're like, well, time with my kid is uh, in person far more valuable than any of the other things to maintain this kind of status quo. So not going to worry. Like I, I know, so I know, so once you have some sort of a concept or something you're rooted in that's some kind of truth, then you can then it's absolute freedom within that construct. Then you can uh-huh. feel free to go and stitch all those things together rooted in the same value system or approach. Yeah. And what I'm hearing, what you're talking about is like for everything that you're saying, it, it's ne- it's never like, oh, this is an effective tool and I kick this guy's ass with it. It's like I'm, I'm going to press this button and see if it lights up. And then if it doesn't work, I'm it's an opportunity to go the, the next thing and an opportunity to go the next thing. And those are all explorations you're doing to map more coordinates across that sort of interracial, right. interrelational yep. puzzle that you're sort of solving. So you're, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm not going to smash through a brick wall, you know, to try to get to the side. Like I'll just use it as an opportunity to walk seven blocks around, you know, this yeah. way and come back this way or whatever. Yeah. And I'll, I, by doing that, I will have much greater sense of the lay of the land, the greater culture, the greater, uh, sort of nuances of what's around here and I'll probably pick up a lot of stuff I wasn't even aware of you yeah. know so I appreciate that approach and, and all the things yeah and that's that's tough for people to recognize that there is almost always a less resistive pass, path for you mm. so a, a lot of people come in and for like for me for jujitsu, you get an arm bar locked on someone and they're defending it I'm gonna like pull super super hard on your arm until one of us tires out and either I, I get your arm or you get out and what you can do is just well shoot if you're defending the armbar so hard i'm going to transition to a back take or i'm going to switch and wrist lock your your hand that you're defending with and then that lets it go so i can armbar and 
a lot of people want to brute force through everything because, well, this is, I, I, I learned it like this once, so I have to make this work for me. Yeah. And uh, a like lot people, of times. People that trained for one career and then yeah. just all of a sudden they're forced with getting out of college finally. You've done a grad work, whatever. You've done all the things to get a doctorate or whatever the hell it is. And then you get out and you're like, I don't want to do this. Right. So yeah. then what? And they that's. Brute a, force their way through it or right. you can gracefully bail on it. You gracefully yeah. bail. Move something <laughs> different that works better for you. Dude. I'm gonna start a band. Graceful bailing. <laughs> That's what you should call it. Do, you, do we have like title? We don't really have titles. We just say episode ten. Yeah, and then like human's like, name that is not yeah. you or me. Yeah, maybe yeah. we say episode ten. Graceful bailing with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Graceful bailing. So, so, um, what are your next competitions coming up? Um, I've got one uh, April seventh. And th- this one, I'm, I'm really excited about. If I April seventh, yes. Do you realize what yeah. that is? Uh, yes. Yeah. Do you realize what that is? It's fight weekend. That's Ferguson. Yep. Khabib and Rose Ioana. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if everything comes to fruition, that that could be one of the best days of my life. So. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, That's going to be a busy one. Yeah. That, that tournament, if I win, um, I get a paid sponsorship to go to Worlds. So oh, cool! That that would be amazing. Where would that be at? Um, California. Uh huh. Cool. Yeah. So that would be sick. Who would be the sponsor? Uh, it's it's called Tennessee Top Roller. Oh, great! Yeah, that's cool. They've it, it's a really new promotion that's trying to find a lot of the uh, kind of un un uh, unknown talent in Tennessee grappling. Uh-huh. You've got you've got a lot of really high level guys that um, because of the way the competition scene is. If they're not doing IBJJF tournaments, there are a lot of these dudes who are straight up killers who no one knows about them. So yeah. some of these smaller tournaments have been popping up, trying to bring those names to the forefront of grappling. Yeah, it's that's cool. Really, really exciting stuff. So, how much lead do you get on who you're competing with and what to like? Uh, you see them day of. <laughs> I mean, do you even know like sort of where they're really generally coming from, or, or are the schools or the really familiar enough yeah. re- regionally to yeah, sort of you, you start recognizing people I, I mean obviously there's going to be new faces at every tournament yeah. but there are a lot of guys that I know I'm going to see at every tournament within like four and a half hours of here uh-huh. I know I'm going to be seeing a lot of the same guys and you have to go against the same dude you beat last time yep. and you've got yeah. some notes on, on how you did that yeah I, I try to avoid trying to build a game plan based on my opponent's old strategy because that yeah. kind of plays into their metagame you know sure Metagame. If yeah. they're smart about it, yeah, yeah. And if you're if you're both blue belts going for it, you guys are all you're in the midst of learning so much exactly, anyway that right. you know yeah, six months later, developing game plans. you know you might not even be Mister Kimura anymore. Right now, well, you're- I, I wasn't <laughs> historically when I when I got my blue belt, I had uh-huh. never kimoured someone, uh-huh. and I was like, you know what? It's embarrassing to be a blue belt and not know how to kimura. So they went fucking all in. Yeah, I figured it just lost <laughs> the ball. Man, it's <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for uh, hanging out with us. Yeah, ben. thanks it's for been, having me. It's been awesome. Um, Sensei Joe, do you got anything that's coming up? No, man. I, 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 no, I've been just like really busy. I've worked on some uh, some big art installations in town like those last two weeks. And uh, this week I'm just going to get my taxes done. And then I'm going to get <laughs> back to my life. And then I'll feel like a person again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's been kind of a grind of a month. But you're, but you're rolling on Steam It. You got like how – yeah. remind everybody where they can find yeah, you. Yeah, at Mighty Joe Nolan on Steam It, at Mighty Joe Nolan on Twitter, at Mighty Joe Nolan on Instagram. 
Joe Nolan Nashville on Facebook, which I don't even do Facebook that much anymore. Yeah, so we I need don't to like it. We need to. I, w- I really want to talk about what's <laughs> going on with like platforms in general yeah. right now. I think I've got some things figured out that are top secret. Oh, okay. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with bailing, gracefully bailing out of most of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, me too. So we should talk about more yeah, of that. Graceful. But anyway, bailing. in all these, uh, <laughs> do, do you're uh, been if people want to follow your fight. Like how? Do, where can they be? How do they find you? Like, um, have you even turned this switch on? Where's like who are you calling out right now? You got the mic right now. Yeah. Where's yeah. the where's the, I don't call think, some people did out? You even, did you even say where the tournament is that you're doing it's, next? Uh, it, it's in Knoxville. In Knoxville, okay, yeah. on the seventh yeah. of April. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Kristen Berry Rec Center. Uh, and where? And how can people find you online and follow your uh, uh, progress? Instagram at b peaser uh-huh. b p as in Ben Powers double e z e r b peaser b peaser. Yeah, cool man. Yeah. All right, maybe you should gracefully bail from that username. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben's uh, choking Brian now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, thanks, thanks again, dudes. Out.